They must be destroyed on sight. Welcome to They Must Be Destroyed on Site, a movie podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Lee Russell, with my co-host, Daniel Harper. How's it going, Dan? Doing just great. How are you? Good. Uh, Long time no talk. Yeah. Um, although, you know... Uh, I make that joke every time, I know. Yeah. Well, it's sort of sort of true, actually, in, in this, this case, because we did have uh, a little bit of time off because of the holidays um, and schedules and conflicting other bullshit, you know, so... Um, Ironically, spending all that time at my house um, with my wife gave me time to get ahead on my other podcast. So it's kind of, you know, on my end, I'm kind of, you know, six and one half dozen of the other. You know, what I gained on one and I lost on the other. But, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, we're this this episode is probably going to be the first episode of the new year. I think we, we've, we recorded two pod, recording two podcasts tonight, but uh, this will be before the next one. Um and basically what we're going to be doing is running down our top five uh, films we watched in the past year for 2014. They don't have to necessarily have been released in 2014. They just have to be films you've seen for the first time that year that you liked. And the reason I'm doing that is because uh, both Daniel and I don't really get a chance to watch a lot of new films. Um, that's even a bigger problem for me than it is for Daniel. So... Uh, I know they don't really have like first run movie theaters in in Nova Scotia. Like you basically don't see movies until about five years after they come out here. Right? Yeah, it, it sometimes ten. Um, <laughs> Are you aware that Akira Kurosawa is dead? Uh, what? Yeah, no, it just happened like fifteen years ago. Well, seventeen years ago. Oh Jesus! I'm never gonna yeah. see, and I, I'm probably never gonna see uh, Indiana Jones two at this point. Am I? Fuck. <laughs> yeah. Mm. <laughs> you should just you should just stop with one actually you know um, uh, the the last crusade probably... was really the last crusade oh, fuck <laughs> uh, no i just totally ruined that joke because the last yeah. crusade was the third last crusade was the third one yeah i wasn't gonna say anything you can just cut that shit out no way. Uh, oh fuck it, it must it must be a bleed over from the doctor who i'm time traveling all over the place yeah, or something the, the you know swiss cheese memory from quantum leap just call it that yeah there you go um but anyway, uh, like I was saying, we're, we're, we're not specifically sticking to new releases in 2014. Um, this is something I actually sort of uh, borrowed from what I was doing in, on my uh, written movie blog because uh, I, I set out to do one of these posts a couple of years ago, and then I was like, you know what? I haven't seen fucking anything that's worth watching that, that was released that year. So I was like, i got to go back and see what I actually watched. Um but, uh, yeah, we're going to be uh, doing that uh, later on. We're going to be getting to uh, listener comments, uh, a whole three weeks backlog of listener comments. Uh, luckily, they're only from, like, two different people. So um, we're not pissing too many people off. I actually contacted both uh, on the side and said, we're going to be getting your comments this episode. So uh, we're going to do that. Um, but, yeah, we're good. I guess we're going to do this the same way we've done our other uh, uh, sort of list shows. Uh, we're going to be doing the old uh, 
I give my top, my number five, you give your number five, and so forth. And uh, anything else you want to say before we get into it, Dan? Sure. Uh, I actually, it's sort of one of those things where I just didn't see that many movies this year, uh, just to kind of reiterate what you said. Uh, mm-hmm. I saw, and most of what I saw was either not really good enough to be worth putting on a list like this or mm-hmm. um, something that I had already seen uh, because the local theater, the, the local Alamo plays a lot of classic movies. So I see a fair number of movies there, but for the most part, it's, you know, uh, like Groundhog Day. I got to see yeah. that on the big screen this year, but I've already seen that, so it doesn't really count for this list. Yeah. Um, it would be unfair to say, oh, yeah, by the way, Groundhog Day is great. Oh, and also... <laughs> Uh, the apartment from 1960. Uh, yeah, no, that's that's brilliant. You should totally go see that. Um, I do have an old movie on this list, um, cool. but I tried to include stuff that was, uh, you know, stuff that I liked. Um, these are not necessarily like the top five movies that I saw this year, or the top five uh, movies that were released this year. Certainly, I didn't see enough movies to really make it. To, you know, I used to be one of those guys, like in my early 20s. I would be like, you know, this movie is definitely, it's it's gonna make number eight on my top ten list. Yeah. It's right behind this other movie. You know, I used to get really obsessive about like putting together top ten lists. Um, back when I kind of thought I'd try to be a professional movie critic. Um, and then you know, I got a life. Yeah. <laughs> um, <you> know? yeah. <laughs> um, and realized that nobody gave a shit. So, yeah. um, and and also I've kind of like in my in my adulthood I've realized that. Um, ranked lists are just kind of you know it's it's sort of like i i it's fun it's fun to put them together but ultimately the difference between number one and number 10 is you know like they're supposedly oh. all really good movies so I you mean, know getting yeah. upset about like oh he put this one above that one like you know who cares it doesn't matter um so mine is not a a ranked list it's just a list of five movies that i really liked that i wanted to talk about That's so cool. yeah, um cool. I mean, I always I always just shit all over this whenever you want to do a top five list. And I'm like, I'm going (laughs) to redefine the question. You know, uh, it's it's the thing I do. Here's my here's my top two that I saw on TV this year. Yeah. 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 Ironically, I watched more television this year than than anything. Um, So, you know, if you if you said top five TV series, I would have had a a much more interesting list, I think. But and and of course, it's been a very difficult year to watch movies because we're always in fear of uh, North Korea telling us what we can and can't watch. So, yeah. Um, Although from what I heard, I didn't see the interview, but from what I heard, um, it would probably have been better if it had not been released. (laughs) You know. Oh, that's terrible. Uh, I... Better, better for better for the careers of all involved. You just feel like you know what? No, North Korea said we couldn't show that to you. You know, like so. so essentially, um, we should just go back and watch Pineapple Express. And Pineapple know. Express is a classic. I I no, I don't know. I don't get people that complain about that. I actually like that movie. But um, yeah, David Gordon Green directed that. So what are you what are you gonna say? You know? <laughs> uh, I was just about to make a Jerry Lewis uh, Day the Clown Cried reference. So you know. <laughs> Uh, you, you saved the world from that. <laughs> That's good. That's good. Um, um, anyway, shall we start with our actual list now, or should we bullshit some more? No, we, we can get right into it here. Uh, we can bullshit later. Got it. Got it. Okay, so I'll, I'll I'll start off with my number five. Um, I would cite 2013's "The World's End" by Edgar Wright. Um, oh yeah, no, that's a great one. So uh, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, 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 first time I watched it, I didn't quite like it as much as like say hot fuzz and Shaun of the dead but uh after a couple repeated viewings now it's really grown on me um i I feel like it's 
it takes some of the like really dead serious uh, drama that was in hidden sort of hidden in Shaun of the Dead uh, and brings it even a bit more to the forefront by the end of the film. Uh, there's like some actual like really serious issues going on there about alcoholism and friendship and stuff like that. And of course, uh, also the sci-fi uh, invasion of the body snatchers kind of motif going on there is like uh, uh, all about, you know, identity and what makes us human and all this other stuff. But uh, I, I thought it was an exceptionally deep film considering on on the surface, it's about a bunch of uh, over-the-hill friends getting drunk on a pub crawl, right? <laughs> right. No, um, World's End, I saw theatrically. Um, I only saw it once, but I'm definitely going to... Uh, that's one that I'm like, oh, yeah, I need to buy that eventually. Um, I just haven't uh, made that happen yet. But, uh, yeah. no, The World's End, a definite... Uh, you know, I love the Cornetto trilogy. Uh, all three of those movies, I mm -hmm. think, are, are kind of instant classics. Um, the World's End is definitely more adult, and by adult I don't mean like dirty in the kind of you know pejorative sense that a lot of people would like use it. Mm -hmm. I mean it in that very real sense of it is dealing with adult issues. Um, I think that uh, as a as a kind of uh, pretty on the surface metaphor for alcoholism. Yeah. Um, you know, you and I are both beer reviewers, and we both consume a, you know copious amounts of alcohol, and I think mm -hmm. it hits a little uncomfortably close to home at times. <laughs> Um, which, you know, not to, uh, you know, reveal too much about myself or to assume anything about you, but, uh, there is certainly, you know, it, it is the sort of film that, uh, I think, uh, some people in our kind of social strata might find, uh, slightly uncomfortable, I think, in yeah. a good way. Yeah. Um, I think there's a whole lot of great performances in it. Uh, Simon Pegg, uh, Martin Freeman, uh, Nick Frost, uh, you know, obviously all those guys, um, but I think it, it's very well cast. Um, you know, James Bond is in it, so you know, <laughs> what, what else are you gonna say? Uh, I don't know. Sorry, sorry to, to to hijack your thing. I just I, I really love that movie, and I haven't thought about it in a while. And I think it's uh, I think it's underrated, and I think that um, it's worth revisiting if you've only seen it once or if you haven't seen it yet. Yeah, and I, and I gotta say, it sucked. <laughs> <laughs> and I and I gotta say, I think I think uh, it and Sean are uh, both perfect bookends to to the the trilogy as a whole. Because when you see Sean, um, it's about people finally becoming adults. Uh, by the time you get to the world's end, it's about people dealing with uh, the fallout of being adults, essentially. So. Um, uh, I, I think that's a nice little thing, little thread that's sort of uh, gone through all three of the films. Um, but uh, yeah, we can move on to uh, your first pick. Sure. Um, the first one I'm going to mention, um, probably I think you know it had Art House releases at the end of 2013, but um, I'm pretty sure I saw it in 2014, um, towards the beginning of the year, uh, and that is one I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, and that was the uh, Spike Jones, the most recent Spike Jones film, Her. Um, okay. Yeah. I think this is, uh, you know, one of the um, kind of finest science fiction films of the last few years. One of the great romances I've seen in a movie. Um, I think it is. It, it kind of gets uh, a bad reputation. I think among among people who are not necessarily familiar with some of the science fiction tropes, it's just kind of being like, you know, hipster. You know, like like a hipster movie. <laughs> um, and I think it it's you know there's an element of truth to that, but I think it it has some really uh, insightful things to say about relationships and the way that we build relationships in the modern world and about kind of the artificiality of um, certain kinds of uh, corporate entertainment and messaging. 
Uh, I think it's a remarkably deep film, and I think that uh, more people should see it and give it a chance. I, again, kind of similarly to The World's End, whereas I think people kind of saw it, uh, didn't get it, and then uh, uh, kind of shit on it, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, I think there's a real authenticity to it, and I would actually like for you to see this movie at some point, I, and yeah. I would like to uh, discuss it with you because uh, uh, I, I think that it, there's... I almost want to go through and do a commentary on that, like mm-hmm. scene by scene, because I think there's a there's a lot of really interesting stuff under the surface of that film. Yeah, that's definitely that's definitely on my uh, list of things to do. So, I, I, I at this point, I might actually just go out and uh, buy it if I see it cheap at Walmart or some shit like that. So, so sure. So, yeah, no, definitely. Uh, if you do, let me know. We will. De- mm-hmm. I would definitely love to. Uh, I mean, I give me an excuse to buy it, and then we will. Uh, I'll watch it, and we'll. I'll ro- watch it again, and we'll uh, talk about it together. Yeah, that's cool. It's gonna happen. It's just matter of when so sure right on um my number four would be what i think is probably the best superhero movie uh done period i think it's actually better than uh uh, watchmen captain america the winter soldier uh directed by anthony russo and joe russo love this film um I, i watched it not expecting anything out of this film i didn't watch any hype or trailers or anything i just sort of watched it on a on a whim um and i was just floored by how fucking good it was uh because the first captain america was just sort of like oh yeah it's kind of better than spider-man one but you know that's about it uh (laughs) but but fuck uh they just it's a perfect meld of uh the sort of comic book action but grounding it in real life uh, with real dramatic tension, real character development, believable superheroes, you know, not necessarily these overpowered uh, uh, monsters running around shooting laser beams at each other. I uh, said it much more in of a sort of a low-key kind of spy movie setting, something that wouldn't be out of place in the next James Bond movie, actually, when you think about it. Um, I mean, I, I was uh, actually, sorry, this one is on my list as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, uh, I have a, an addendum, but, uh, I think, uh, it, it fits into that, like Jason Bourne mold. Almost. Mm-hmm. It's almost like Jason Bourne four or five, whatever Jason Bourne number they're on now. Yeah. Um, but with, uh, Captain America at the center of it, um, yeah. it's sort of, uh, taking these, uh, comic book characters and these comic book tropes and the comic book movie tropes, and then just completely, turning that into, you know, doing genre films within that universe, which I yeah. think is a really smart way to go. Um, I actually paired this movie. I didn't want to do, I, I liked Guardians of the Galaxy a lot as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was going to just kind of consider those together. Um, I like the first Captain America movie, I think, more than you do. Um, okay. I think that uh, it is a little bit... Uh, hokey maybe and a little bit a little bit more straightforward um i'm a i'm a big fan of the marvel cinematic universe in general mm-hmm. uh i think they've done a really good job of kind of basing their movies around characters yeah um and kind of making each each character kind of have an inner life and an interiority so that like the point of captain america is about who steve rogers is and not about like steve rogers blows up shit um, yeah also they don't fall into the mistake that the dc universe seems to be going at these days of just making everything Christopher Nolan uh, gray grayed out mm-hmm. and uh, turning everything into something um, dark and uh, mysterious or uh, whatnot. Um, 
Yeah, you don't have uh, you don't have uh, disgruntled hobo Superman blowing up right. half a metropolis with no consequences at all. Yeah. Well, I suspe- I, I suspect that Man of Steel two is going to uh, going to deal with all that, or the Justice League <laughs> movie is going to. I suspect that's going to be the point of the Justice League, um, yeah. but we'll we'll see. Um, they they better address it because that's a gaping plot hole in that film. It's like Captain America, you just killed probably five thousand people in that city, <laughs> <laughs> right? Or uh, Man of Steel, uh, Superman. Yeah, Superman. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, I I I really liked uh, again Captain America, Winter Soldier, and again Guardians of the Galaxy, which I thought was um, a lot of fun. Uh, Chris Pratt, who I kind of know from Parks and Recreation, mm-hmm. um, and a couple other places, but uh, is uh, just amazingly funny um that's when james gunn uh kind of directed that and wrote that yeah. uh, lots of really clever stuff in it um you couldn't find i mean it's funny like you kind of put those both in a box of you know uh comic book movies but uh, you you can't it would be hard to find two less similar films in terms of like actual plot and structure um and because uh, guardians of the galaxy is kind of a, a comedic space opera kind of thing um, it's very, very different, and mm-hmm. uh, the, the Rocket Raccoon character has a, a really nice uh, arc, a really nice, like, uh, uh, you know, kind of tragic hero almost sort of thing by the end. So, um, you know, did you see Guardians of the Galaxy at all? Yeah, I did. It was actually uh, w- when originally I had the uh, the 10 on, on my list here, um, it was actually up at number 7 on my list. Um, sure. But, uh, and, and actually, I... I was debating even like putting it a bit, bit up more like number nine. I didn't. I don't think I enjoyed it as much as you did. I I really did enjoy it quite a bit, and I and I thought it was worthy of being uh, one of the best films I saw uh, uh, for the list. But I, I did I did feel that uh, it was a, maybe a bit episodic in some areas. I felt the villains were basically totally an afterthought. Uh, I thought they were all wasted for the most part. Well, I, I don't disagree with that. Mm. <laughs> you know, um, it's a, it's a popcorn movie. It kind of, it's, it's in and out of your system pretty quickly, but I think it sets up a world. And, uh, again, for me, it's almost like I don't mind when the MCU movies are not as good mm. because the overall idea behind the Marvel cinematic universe has been so strong for me. Yeah. So even though like Thor two was not a great movie, um, it doesn't like, uh, uh, make me not want to see the next one because yeah. I'm like, okay, well, this one maybe wasn't made for me, but the next one will, you know. So uh, for me, uh, I think the Marvel Cinematic Universe is is this uh, thing we're going to be talking about for a long time uh, in terms yeah. of as film fans and as people kind of studying like franchises mm-hmm. in the 21st century. I think the way that they have built that franchise and the the uh, the way that they cast actors and then built series around them. I think is is really the way to go, as opposed to like trying to latch on to, uh, you know, say we're going to do Batman and then make Batman the center. It's like no, we're going to find an actor, mm-hmm. and fit that actor to a role, and then make that role the thing. You know, yeah. So, uh, you know, it's funny. Like just a few years ago, they had to fight for Robert Downey Jr. Uh, John Favreau had to fight for Robert Downey Jr. to be Iron Man, and now he's like the core of the franchise. You mm-hmm. know? Yeah, um, and he's this huge star now. Um, and I don't know, just uh, I really admire that, and I think uh, I, I'm I'm still excited to see what's happening in the MCU. So that's kind of my big thing with that. So. Yeah, like, like I, I'll, I'll say this: like one of the main reasons Guardians of the Galaxy was on my original list here is because 
it beat all my expectations all the hell. It's like Guardians of the Galaxy, one of the most obscure Marvel titles of the last like 20, 30 years. <laughs> and right. it's like, and they made it work. Um, and it did. And for, for all, for some of the, 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 the sort of negatives, uh, I, I see in the film, uh, there's so much more positives. I think it does better than, uh, what the last three Star Wars movies were supposed to do. I, I think it works much better that way. And plus you've got, um, you've got what, like three Han Solo characters in that film compared, Oh yeah. <laughs> compared to none in the last three, uh, Star Wars films. Um, it, it works really well in that way. Great fucking soundtrack as well. Uh, really, oh, really yeah. exceptional. And it's, it's a fun movie. It's, it's a fun, feel good popcorn movie. Uh, I think it even, it, it sort of recaptures that, uh, early, 80s uh lucas spielberg uh molded our childhoods bullshit kind of feeling right where yeah i can really sit back and enjoy and smile at this movie even if it's a little dumb and and a little flashy because it's really good does an even better job than say like um from what a couple years back uh everyone was raving about super eight and how it was, Oh, it recaptures. I was, I was literally about to say super eight. You, oh, yeah. You, yeah. No, I was literally about to say, you remember how crappy super eight turned out to be? Yeah. Yeah. And this kind of captures that feel so much better. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, yeah. Um, we're, we're right there. I'm right there with you. Oh, okay. So uh, where are we now? I think, I think it's, I think it's technically my turn because I was agreeing with you and then added one. So, okay. uh, but uh, you know, I don't really give a shit. Um, Go ahead. Um, the next one, uh, and this is, this is kind of ironic that I'm including this one, um, and it'll become clear in a moment, but, uh, Grand Budapest Hotel, um, okay. this is the uh, most recent Wes Anderson movie, mm -hmm. and, uh, I think you and I have had this conversation, um, probably a long time ago, because, uh, I kind of have a thing about Wes Anderson where, um, I want to punch him in the face with, like, every movie of his I yeah, see. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> um, he's got this very uh, twee sensibility in, in a lot of his early stuff. Mm -hmm. And I think it's not even that I mind Wes Anderson as much as I, I, I kind of dislike the hype he gets where, like, all of his movies go to Criterion right away mm, and yeah. that sort of thing. Um, and that's not really his fault, but uh, the kind of culture surrounding Wes Anderson. All of which is to say, I think Grand Budapest Hotel is actually a really good movie. Okay. I think kind of later career Wes Anderson, like after he did um, the stop motion one, uh, Fantastic Mr. Fox. Oh, yeah. He yeah. kind of, uh, which I really love that movie. He kind of got to the point of uh, just kind of turning all of his movies into cartoons. Mm -hmm. And so now he's doing like living cartoons. And once you sort of get it on that level um, and it is kind of more abstracted from reality, uh, yeah. I, I think his sensibilities come across more and it's a lot less grating, at least for me. Um, you know, I, I really need to go back and rewatch Rushmore, um, which I just uh, it just grates on me like the entire movie. And my wife really likes that movie, and I'm just, I don't, like, it's just sort of like, I don't get it at all. Yeah. Um, but uh, uh, Grand Budapest Hotel, I guess, I really didn't talk about the movie at all, but um, it's this kind of uh, uh, mannered comedy. Uh, it's very well written. Uh, it's got Ray Fiennes uh, as the owner, of the, the rich owner of this hotel. Um, F. Murray Abraham's in it. Uh, I mean, like, so many people. Harvey Keitel's in it. Um, uh, it's a, it's a, uh, very, uh, slapsticky, um, you can almost believe it's, it's sort of a, uh, uh, 
uh, screwball comedy from the 40s, just kind of made with a, a budget of today oh, and yeah. with kind of modern sensibilities of comedy. Um, it's very unique, and uh, I really uh, appreciate the kind of original voice of the film. So, um, highly recommend it. I, I really liked Grand Buda- Budapest Hotel. I saw it because my wife wanted to see it, and uh, I liked it a lot more than I, I thought I was going to. Oh, cool. Uh, yeah, I, I haven't really kept up with his movies. Like, I haven't seen uh, the Mr. Fox film. I haven't seen uh, the Darjeeling Limited or wherever the Darjeeling hell it is. Darjeeling Limited is uh, kind of a mess. Uh, yeah. Fantastic Mr. Fox is good. I haven't seen uh, the one after that, which was uh, Moonrise Kingdom, I think. Oh, yeah, yeah. I missed that one. Um, pretty much everything after um, Mr. Fox that I've seen. Um, which is really just Fantastic Mr. Fox and then this one. Um, mm-hmm. So, But it does seem like he's kind of moved more into uh, kind of doing these these more uh, broad, uh, again, cartoony, you know, kind of kind of staging them differently. Um, there's less of a, an attempt at kind of a psychological realism, um, which I find that the more distant he gets from a kind of realistic psychology, the uh, – more he's actually kind of exploring character types. I, I think that's an interesting thing. Um, I need to go. I need to go back through and like watch all his films again. Um, yeah. Kind of. I think uh, he's look got, at that. I think he's got a new one coming out, isn't it? Like some. It looked like. I, I swear, I heard his name on on the on the uh, trailer. I, I, I think it's a crime movie or something. I would I would believe it. I don't. You know, it's funny. I'm, I'm co-host of a movie podcast, and I watch so few movie trailers these days. Mm. But. but uh, uh, for for him, my favorite movie from him is still the the Life Aquatic, and I and I think I think the mo- that mostly has to do with Bill Murray just like stealing that entire movie away. So, <laughs> yeah, I that that's one I've been really wanting to see. I think uh, Henry Selleck did a stop motion on that one, right? I believe so. Yes. Yeah. Um. So I it's just uh, my wife and I own it. I mean, she she owned it before we got married and all that. So it's I mean, I could go put it in the DVD player right now. I've just never watched it, but uh, that one's... I need to watch it. That's just a thing. Yeah, right on. So, Um, yeah, Grand Budapest Hotel, I I liked quite a bit. Um, Is it my favorite movie ever made? No, but it was a lot of fun to watch. Right on. All right, uh, my next one would be um, from a director that I've been keeping my eye on for the last few years, uh, who I really... I've been enjoying some of his work, um... It is uh, Ty West's The Sacrament that came out in 2013. Uh, this is essentially, um, it combines sort of the uh, found footage genre, which would immediately elicit groans from probably 90% of the people listening to this podcast because, oh, another found footage film. Damn it. Um, but this, this sort of combines that genre and, and does it in a very good and smart way with um, basically a retelling uh, of the Jonestown uh, cult uh, the, the, and, the, and the subsequent uh, mass suicide. Um, and it, it essentially just does it with, retells the story without, you know, using the, the real names, uh, uh, Jim Jones and stuff like that. But, it, but it's a found footage. It, it, it takes the real life, uh, what, what's the name of that damn... Uh, they're they're a docu- they're an independent documentary news slash news uh, company who do all kinds of documentaries all around the world. Uh, I think they're called Vice. Uh, Vice, yep. Yeah. So essentially, the idea is that these guys working for Vice uh, go down to this uh, Christian 
commune that's uh, in South America, isolated uh, from the rest of the world. And because uh, one of the guy's uh, sister, uh, who went missing, basically contacts him from there, saying, "Oh, it'd be great if you came down and stuff." And they're they're like, he's like, "Okay, well, I'll bring my friends and we'll do a story on this place because it might be a good documentary." And then they sort of they they're sort of welcome with open arms, but. Uh, there, there's definitely some weird stuff going on right right away that makes them uneasy, like armed guards and stuff like that. And um, anyone who knows the, the Jim Jones story basically knows how it plays out, although the movie doesn't quite play out the same way. But, man, uh, it's it's one of the few found footage films I've, I've sort of seen in, in recent years that gets back to recapturing, to some degree, uh, what the Blair Witch Project did. Um, it, it just, and it, there's almost a more of a real life, uh, visceral unease of, uh, some of the scenes in this film, um, that really hit close to home because they're so believable. Um, acting is really good. It, it does, it doesn't feel like, uh, a bunch of student actors in their first film screwing up lines, you know, in a, in a low budget film. So, um. Every, everything's pretty much believable. It, it's really good. It's on Netflix right now, uh, and I, I'd, I'd recommend anyone see it. Ty West is—he's uh, been—he's made some really great horror films. He's—he's he's a star in the genre, as far as I'm concerned. He did *Host of the Devil*. He did *The Innkeepers*, which is a fantastic uh, sort of haunted hotel film with a really nice sad ending, and he's—he's um, he's been involved in some other. Uh, little projects here and there, uh, VHS, which is also a sort of a found footage anthology horror film. Uh, I haven't seen any of the VHS ones though. Um, but uh, I've heard mixed things about those. <laughs> yeah, me too. Uh, but, but this, uh, the sacrament really, really good, really believable. Um, and, uh, it, it definitely left me a little, little uneasy in some, some scenes. Just, just seeing, uh, a field strokes to sort of, uh, full of dead bodies and it looks so realistic that you almost it takes you out of hey i'm watching a film and you actually start believing that hey you're watching a documentary of something that actually happens so it's really really effective yeah that's that's awesome um i uh, haven't seen that i actually kind of shy away from a lot of the found footage movies just because mm -hmm. i get motion sickness uh fairly easily especially if i see them theatrically but uh i'll give that one a shot that one sounds really interesting Cool. Um, speaking of found footage movies, not to uh, derail us, but I'm going to derail us for a second. Uh, right. Did you see a movie called Chronicle from a couple of years back? Yeah, actually, I uh, I own a copy of that. Um, yeah, I I, uh, I liked that one quite a bit. Um, yeah, I did too. Uh, actually, a mutual uh, friend of ours in the beer world, uh, the Urban Viking, uh, David Dowling, recommended it to me, and he kept hounding me to watch the damn film for over a year, and then I finally got to it. So, and it. No, no. it and that one sort of deals with uh, the superhero genre as well on a very realistic uh, uh, a way. Like what would happen if a bunch of hormonally charged teenagers all of a sudden had the powers of a god, you know? Like... We, we should, we should uh, review that one sometime. I, mm. I think uh, I'd like to do a full – if you like it and I like it, I think we should do a full-length uh, review of that at some point. Sounds good, yeah. Um, my turn? Yeah. Uh, all right. This is the oldest film on my list, uh, okay. which you'll understand in a moment. Gojira, uh, the original Godzilla movie. Oh, nice. Uh, from 1948, which I had never seen. 
until this year and uh you know got the disc from netflix it was sort of one of those spur of the moment th- like you know my my netflix dvd queue is like 500 movies long like that's <laughs> the most they'll let you have because that way there's always another movie coming and i just kind of order them randomly you know oh, it's yeah. just sort of like um and then suddenly oh look you know like today i got the uh, Werner herzog film invincible um, <laughs> in the mail um, which I've never seen, so I'm going to watch that one sooner or later. And uh, so it's just a great way to just kind of catch up with with old movies, you know, that you've been wanting to see. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so I watched the original Godzilla movie this year, and uh, uh, a really good movie, like uh, legitimately a very different than kind of the cheese fest that you kind of think of, um, mm-hmm. you know, when you think of you know Man in Suit, rubber monster movies. Um, you know, you really get that. Um, First of all, just some stunning black and white photography. Yeah, uh, you get uh, a whole bunch of uh, great performances, um, and this is the version without the kind of American uh, dude walking around uh, oh, telling yeah. you what's happening. What's his name? And they played Ironside. Uh, uh, I I forget. Yeah, I forget the actor. Um, <laughs> I didn't do my research. I, I put the list together, and then I, I should have like looked everything up. Mm. Um, but uh, no, a great. Um, uh, a really great film. Um, if you if you only kind of know Godzilla from watching kind of old stuff on late night TV or MST3K kind of doing Godzilla back in the '90s, or uh, you know, it's kind of funny how little like Godzilla is in the is in the kind of uh, public consciousness these days. It's just mm-hmm. kind of a, even though there are some kind of new Godzilla movies coming out, people don't really I think are really aware. Um, in the way that maybe you and I were as kids, you know, like I knew yeah. people who were just really into Godzilla as a kid, you know, and so they just like have all the VHS tapes. Yeah. Um, that you never really think about like the original film, which is a much more um, serious, almost somber film about, you know, kind of the uh, the dangers of uh, you know unchecked technology and mm-hmm. the the dangers of uh, uh, greed and and that sort of thing. So, um, you know. I'm not saying any... By the way, there's this movie that you should go see. <laughs> uh, you know, it was made, you know, 70 years ago. Yeah. Um, but it actually is a, a really good film, and for a movie that's that's very nearly seven decades old at this point, Yeah. Uh, it holds up really well. Like, it, it, it does not... Uh, it doesn't lag in the way that you think it might. Um, yeah. It's absolutely worth seeing. And if people are, like, they're sort of put put off on the notion, of, oh, I'm going to see some guy in a suit and I'm going to see a zipper. It's like it's not it's not like that. It's uh, the the black and white photography. It it really covers up a lot of sins. Uh, yeah, no, I know. I find that you know black and white. You know, seeing that stuff in black and white. I mean, maybe because it just feels more old fashioned. You know, it kind of feels like it's our distance from it as viewers kind of helps to make it uh, more okay. Mm-hmm. Whereas you know, if you if you saw it like if it was filmed today, you know, and it yeah. was in color and shot on in HD and all that sort of thing, like you'd see all the flaws. Um, but but seeing it in black and white, I mean, they 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 filmed it to be seen that way. So yeah. um, it's it's uh, again really worth uh, checking out. Cool. Okay, my number two would be um, from 2013. Uh, it's. One of the best uh, revenge slash sort of crime dramas I've seen in a long, long time. Uh, it's called Blue Ruin, uh, directed by Jeremy Soliner. Um, it's this uh, sort of atypical revenge film, in a way, where uh, this uh, meek 
uh, homeless man who uh, had his whole, f basically, well, his, his mother and his father killed years and years ago, and he's sort of been living as a bum um, on on the beaches somewhere, uh, eating out of uh, dumpsters and stuff like that, and basically seems like he his, he's just sort of uh, disconnected from the rest of the world, but he gets a phone call that uh, the guy who killed his parents is getting released. Um, and he makes it his uh, determined uh, mission to find and kill this guy and make him pay. And um, it sounds very simplistic, but this film actually deals with the repercussions of vigilantism, uh, revenge, uh, how it bleeds out and hurts other people that uh, are perhaps innocent of, uh, of the situation. Um, and how it actually makes other people all of a sudden guilty and uh, monsters themselves. Uh, it's a very it's a very somber and sad film. It's not uh, it's not an action film or anything like that. It's it's a it's a film that feels like has real consequences for the characters and they're very believable characters. And um, it, it's one I got to find the DVD of and own. It's it's really great. It was one I just sort of. Uh, picked off uh, Netflix uh, one day as a as a whim. It's like, oh, this looks kind of interesting. Revenge film, whatever. It might be something to pass the time, you know, just an easy sort of movie with some shooting and stuff in it. And no, it turned out to be a really uh, deep, deep meditation on violence uh, that I thought was pretty damn startling. So uh, that would be my uh, number two, I guess, on my list. Oh, that, yeah, that sounds... I think I've heard of that one. That It does uh, sound familiar, and uh, the way you're describing it may sound like a, like an old uh, David Mamet movie or something. Like, uh, uh, I, I could, yeah, I could see the connection there as well, yeah, yeah. Yeah, or uh, Michael Mann or something. Like, it, yeah. Like it sounds like something that's, uh, that's more, uh, you know, kind of late 80s, early 90s kind of uh, Arthur, you know, kind of right before the... right before Tarantino changed all the rules. You know, yeah, yeah. Michael Mann, if he decided to step out of Los Angeles and film in the backwoods somewhere, yeah. <laughs> sure, sure, yeah. Um, oh, well, that makes it sound like uh, In the Bedroom, that uh, film with Tom Wilkinson. And, uh, mm. Oh, have I seen that one? Yeah, no. Um, sorry, I'm mentioning other movies, but uh, In the <laughs> Bedroom, uh, uh, Marissa Tomei and uh, Tom Wilkinson uh, are in that. Um, oh, anyway, okay. um, good film. It's, it's about... Uh, I've said too much already, <laughs> but yeah, no blue ruin. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll have to look that one up. That one sounds interesting too. Cool. Um, uh, we on to number ones now. Yep. Or last movie, last movie, whatever. Just, yeah. Uh, um, this one I am almost certain I saw in at the end of 2013. Um, so I'm breaking the rules here. Bad me. Um, I, I feel like the fact that I saw it 380 days ago is not, um, you know, versus 365, you know, <laughs> um, uh, this one is, uh, uh, Miyazaki's last film. Um, okay. they're saying it's his final film and I might believe it this time. It's the wind rises. Okay. Um, this is a, uh, obviously, uh, I'm sure you're familiar with Miyazaki. Uh, he's I, the, I'm... uh, yeah, I think you mentioned this film to me quite a while I, back. I, I might have. Um, this is actually, um, I saw this in theatrically. Uh, this is a uh, film about a, uh, actually a real-life aeronautical engineer um, in the kind of run-up to World War II in Japan. 
Hmm. Um, and on the surface, this is a film that's just about this this guy who's like a bright aeronautical engineer, you know, kind of wanting to fly, yeah. you know. Um, and he's inspired by this, uh, you know, he kind of has these these dreams and fantasies of this Italian, uh, you know, airplane designer that he really respected as a kid. And, uh, you know, this this guy kind of shows up and talks to him and, you know, uh, sort of thing. Um, you know, he kind of falls in love and you kind of follow him over the course of several years of his life as he kind of works his way up in the industry. Hmm. Um, and so it, on one level, you know, Miyazaki's films are often about flight um, and uh, air travel. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there's often a, a strong visual component to that. And uh, this is kind of his masterpiece on that level um, because it just looks fucking gorgeous. I mean, it's just like you watch it. Um, but, you know, I see on the surface level, it's, it's just kind of just the story of, of this guy, but beneath the surface, it's kind of about, um, you know, the way that this dude's, uh, love of airplanes and love of wanting to build these beautiful machines that can carry people and that can fly and can conquer the air is ultimately used for destructive ends. Um, in in World War II. And none of that is explicit. None of that, like, you don't end with this, you know, I kind of thought, oh, we're going to end with a, like, a big moment where, (laughs) you know, (laughs) the guy realizes, oh, my God, they're bombing, you know, Germany or whatever, you know. Um, That's not not where this goes. Um, That's all, like, implicit. But I think it's definitely there in the film um, in sort of the way that some of this stuff is shot and the the way that... um, you see, some, you know, the ending. Um, uh, it's a it's a gorgeous film. Absolutely uh, worth your time to uh, seek cool. out. Um, if it is Miyazaki's last film, he has gone out on a high note. You know, um, he is uh, kind of the master of animation. Yeah. And um, you know, really, I can't praise him enough. <laughs> you know, with with all of his films and all the uh, films that his production company, Studio Ghibli. Um, has made over the years. Um, the, the production company is still going strong, but Miyazaki has said this is his last film that he's directing. So, yeah, um, yeah he really he really takes uh, and basically maintains uh, uh, Japanese style animation, Asian style animation, anime, whatever you want to say, uh, as a, as a like a, a really art, really an art form, like just on par with any live action film. Like he absolutely he does absolutely. so. Yeah, I mean, you know, people kind of think anime and they think like, you know, oh, Sailor Moon or whatever, or mm-hmm. you know, porn, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, I, I think that those attitudes are changing, um, but I but I do think that there is a, a sense in which it, it's almost unfair to call it anime because that makes people uh, think of it very differently. Yeah. This is a film made by a master, and it has nothing to do with anything that you would think of when you think of. And, <laughs> legend, legend know. of the Overfiend with a devil raping women and stuff. <laughs> right, right. Um, so yeah, no, that that's my uh, you know, it's not like the greatest film I saw last year, but um, it's a really, really fine film. And uh, again, uh, check it out if you haven't seen it. It's it's wonderful. Cool. Um, my I guess my number one pick. Uh, I'd have to say, uh, from 2013, Martin Scorsese, Wolf of Wall Street. Um, absolutely love it. I've watched it a couple times now. And uh, I don't know if I want to go too deep into talking about why I love it so much, but um, I'll just say a, a really nice return to form for Scorsese, like a real nice return to like the 90s Scorsese, who was making like really 
off the wall interesting films and they should have just called it goodfellas part three yeah because <laughs> goodfellas part two is casino but yeah <laughs> um uh it, it's it's different than you than that makes it sound that's a little bit more flippant but um mm-hmm. you know, or the good version of american hustle which was the very first film we talked about on this yeah. podcast yeah. So, you know. um no i i uh i really like that film as well i don't know that i'd put it as like the number one film i saw mm-hmm. last year or anything um in fact I don't, i'd completely forgotten about it basically until you <laughs> mentioned it um which is kind of not a good sign but it is a really really phenomenal film um and i think uh uh, you know, it is a return to form for for Scorsese. It's kind of him doing something. Um, you know, <laughs> Scorsese himself probably knows a lot about uh, being on the amount of drugs that the people in this movie are. are yeah. <laughs> you know, um, if those stories of Scorsese in the '80s have any any hint of truth, um, uh, yeah, it was probably a little bit more personal than uh, than you'd like to think. Um, <laughs> Uh, but yeah, uh, no, great film, uh, great performance by uh, Jonah uh, Hill. Jonah Hill, yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, you, you kind of don't. It's funny, like you think, oh yeah, yeah, you know, Leo DiCaprio and all that sort of thing, and then like, no, Jonah Hill's like the reason to watch this movie. Like he's phenomenal. Yeah. Um, Love it. And actually, I was like you. I I actually had forgotten about this film, and then I saw it. It was I guess it was on Netflix. I I, I saw it again. And I was like, oh yeah, shit. I really like this film a lot. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, re- really phenomenal film. And, um, you know, one that, again, I-, I would actually like to sit down and do a full discussion with you at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Because I think it- it's worth going into it in more detail than I think we're, we're wanting to do right now. Yeah. Um, okay, so uh, maybe we should uh, delve a little maybe into uh, some other other films uh, we saw uh, briefly. Um I'm I'm just going to basically go off the top half of my list, I guess, and uh, we'll. But well, I'll let you start if there's anything else you want to mention. Sure. I just uh, I I didn't really even have other good films. I just wanted to mention some other stuff I saw and just kind of give you kind of two sentences about them. That works too. Um, uh, I think it was called uh, "Deliver Deliver Us from Evil," uh, the Eric Bana ghost movie. Oh yeah, uh, exorcism movie uh, was fucking awful. <laughs> uh, it was boring as shit. Um, you know, um, all these based on a true story exorcism oh, yeah. bullshit movies are, uh, and, and this one, you know, Eric Bana is actually quite good in it. You know, mm-hmm. um, Eric Bana, I, I like him as an actor, but, uh, you know, yeah, no, it, this is a pointless movie. Don't, don't bother. Um, it's, it's just silly. Um, Tammy, the, uh, the kind of uh, big film that Melissa McCarthy, uh, did this year is kind oh, of, yeah. like, uh, it's funny, like, uh, you know, she had the clout to make whatever she wanted, and she made Tammy, um, <laughs> which is uh, not a bad uh, comedy, um, but uh, it's kind of big and broad and dumb, and uh, <laughs> very uh, different than her performance in St. Vincent, which was, uh, you mentioned Bill Murray earlier, mm-hmm. and, uh, Bill Murray is phenomenal in that. Um, oh, yeah. The only reason that film didn't really make my, my top five list was just because I think you know, while it is a really good film, it also just kind of feels a little bit derivative of like Bad Santa and some other films like oh, yeah. that. You know, okay. um, you know, not not even in a bad way. I think that it is a, a really nice little slice of life story. Um, it is it is a very small film, but um, it, it doesn't feel as uh, fresh and innovative. But uh, Bill Murray is phenomenal in that, hmm. um, and if he wins an Oscar for that, then it's well deserved. 
cool. Um, I know there's been some buzz about that, so we'll see. But um, I don't usually give a shit about Oscars, but I'd love to see Bill Murray win one because he, he deserves. Yeah, he um, deserves one definitely. He's deserved one for like thirty years now, but yeah. <laughs> they don't they don't give Oscars for for performances in Ghostbusters. Um, I, but... I mean, I would I would honestly argue that even back way back to uh, where the Buffaloes roam, where he did his basically spot on impersonation of Hunter Thompson, I, I think yep. that was worth mentioning at least, at least a nomination for fuck's sakes personally um you had me at uh meatballs, <laughs> meatballs. <laughs> <laughs> um no uh, uh just a couple uh, if you want to start mentioning films we can uh you know if i if i think of any yeah. more I'll, I'll talk about them um uh number six on my list was uh kill kill list which we've reviewed um i, I just put that on there because uh still like sort of thematically and visually and stuff it, it it struck a chord with me uh but that's that was from way back in 2011 i just saw it the first time this year um of course we always mentioned guardians of the galaxy um uh all is lost from 2013 the uh what paul newman uh no i'm thinking the wrong guy paul newman's dead paul newman, paul newman yeah he's been dead for a while now yeah uh the other, the other guy in uh, Butch Cassidy in the in the Sundance. Oh, Kid. Robert Redford. Robert Redford, that's right. Oh, uh, yeah, that movie, yeah. Yeah, I mean that did sound that did look good. I mean, um, that it's it's a one man uh, performance uh, movie where he's basically this rich guy who uh, out of his over his head uh, with his boat um, sailing around the world. It's never really spelled out why he's doing it. Uh, and he runs into a lot of bad shit, um, and it's uh, very viscerally, very uh, striking film, very good, uh, really great performance. Um, one who is familiar with uh, boats and sailing could probably tear this fucker to holes, more holes than Swiss cheese, as far as uh, the stuff he does, but I would argue that I think the whole point was that this was some rich white guy who was getting in over his head and didn't quite know. He thought he knew, maybe he took a couple courses or whatever, but he didn't really know what he was getting into, and that that's why he runs into so much trouble. But uh, a really interesting film. I, I quite liked it quite a bit. Um, and uh, just two others on my list. Um, one is a crime film from 2013, sort of a blue-collar, working-class crime film called uh out of the furnace uh with christian bale casey affleck and uh woody harrelson in it uh, william defoe as well in it um there's a bunch That's of interesting cast yeah a lot of a lot of really just excellent actors uh kind of a standard crime film slash uh revenge film in a way uh much more by the numbers than uh blue ruin was uh just in comparison but uh also sort of peaks at sort of the same uh, issues as well to some degree and I think that mostly for the performances is is what I really liked about especially especially Woody Harrelson who I think's excellent um, he just plays this really really bad bad uh, backwoods uh, I can't even say he's a person he's a monster like a full-on monster and really convincing really really liked it um, and my other, the only other one, um, Greg McClain's sequel to his original Wolf Creek, uh, Wolf Creek 2, with uh, basically not as good at all as uh, Wolf Creek 1, 
but as far as capturing, which in the first film captured the sort of uh, sort of the, the base elements of like a Texas Chainsaw Massacre film perfectly, uh, just just if if you want to watch a movie where there's no hope and you just feel total despair for like an hour and a half, then that's sort of the movie for you in a way because it sort of breaks uh, a lot of genre. Uh, conventions that we've come to expect from sort of slasher films. Uh, Wolf Creek 2 does a lot of the same. Uh, it's much more focused on the killer this time, played by uh, John Jarrett, who's an excellent actor. Um, it's more of a showcase for his acting talents than it is uh, a good story. It's basically just a remake of the first film to some degree. But um, uh, for visually, though, uh, if you're into gore and stuff like that, uh, definitely the one that's probably to check out. Um, and uh, I, I appreciated it on that level at least. I'm not going to say it's a great film, but it was uh, good enough for in in the in those respects to get on my list. So sure, no, sounds awesome. Yeah. So um, yeah, um, I kind of don't have anything else off the top of my head, but if I think okay. of anything, I guess I'll mention it later on i think we got some mail we want to read and this is yes running a little long anyway so yeah we'll try to get through some comments here um sure. not so, to rush you at all <laughs> um it's your podcast yeah so uh, let's see here i just had them all sort of set up here uh on our horror movie recommendations uh episode um our friend uh, Paul P. A. Brunus, who is actually pretty much ninety percent of all the comments we we're going to cover here, uh, <laughs> uh, he he made the comment that uh, just bring uh, him on the show one day. Yeah, we should. Um, Night of the Living Dead. Daniel and I agreed on something. Holy fuck! Uh, <laughs> he he said uh, just before dawn rules, which was one from my list. Um, he said it was sad that the Memphis Three kids went to jail. Uh, definitely agree um and uh, and i think what paul was doing was he was listening to it on youtube and then every time something came to his mind he'd post another comment that so, sounds like paul yeah uh so he says he says horror movies don't scare him they entertain him most other films don't entertain him at all so um and i can sort of agree to to some to some degree with that i think we sort of discussed that a bit that most horror films don't really they don't necessarily scare people you know or us at least you know um and uh let's see here he said uh taste the blood of dracula is a great film he also likes uh the satanic rites of dracula uh and he says his kids watch uh horror of dracula all the time so those that's going back to the uh hammer uh, dracula films um he, he has some film recommendations for us as far as horror films go um he says these are ones we should watch and possibly do episodes on. Uh, first one is Deranged, which is uh, it's a retelling of the Ed Gain um, a story, the real life story that, of course, uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre and stuff was based upon. Um, Cemetery Man, which is uh, a latter day sort of Italian horror film from the 1990s, I believe it was, right around then, which is an interesting film, very surreal. Uh, that that might be definitely one we we should check out at some point. Um, Hell of the Living Dead, which uh, I just recently bought that one uh, a little while ago, um, and it's a it's a terrible film. It's it's a bad zombie <laughs> film. 
uh, but I, I love it. It's so terrible. It, it's it's one of those. It, it's uh, all the worst possible things you could think of uh, that the Italian film industry uh, did in attempting to rip off George Romero, and they put it all basically into one film. It nice. it it's it's terrible. Uh, we actually we should probably do that one at some point. <laughs> all right. Um, you said the House of Psychotic Women, which I'm not familiar with. Uh, Host by the Cemetery, which is uh, a Lucio uh, Fulci film, which is also one of those sort of uh, Italian horror films. Uh, Fulci is well known for making very abstract horror films with a lot of blood and guts in them. Uh, Host by the Cemetery is definitely one of those. And let's see. Uh, oh, you also mentioned some um, slasher movies here. Uh, the Prowler, uh, The Burning, which I I do own that one. Uh, Madman. Um, Zombie Lake, which is also incredibly terrible. I believe that's on Netflix. Uh, I dare you to venture into that one, Daniel. Uh, Zombie Lake, all right. That's that is that is the bottom of the barrel for not only Nazi zombie movies but zombie movies in general. <laughs> and and let, let's put it this next way: next week we're going to be looking at Zombie Lake. Now, <laughs> <laughs> let, let's put it this way: this is a film that a busload of naked women uh, cannot make good. <laughs> I don't I don't believe that exists. Uh. I, I dare you, sir, to even watch like the first half hour of that film. <laughs> um, also, oh, you also mentions a really good one, um, "Last Man on Earth," the uh, Vincent Price uh, film from the uh, I think it's sixty-three or four or something like Is that. that. The original uh, original adaptation, yeah, original adaptation of I Am Legend. Yes, and that's actually an excellent film. Uh, film that was filmed in uh, Italy as well, I believe. Um, which is pretty striking because it's supposed to be like uh, I think like New York or someplace he's supposed to be in, and then he when he goes traveling around the city, it's obviously not <laughs> at all. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, but yeah, those are um, those are good suggestions. Uh, so we will we will uh, do a little conference on the, on those at some point there, Paul, and see if we can get in to some of those. Uh, let's see here, what else we got? Um, on the sci-fi films uh, episode, uh, Wolf Darkclaw mentions some sci-fi films he liked. Um, he's, I think him and Paul are very much of the same mind when it comes to uh, films because he mentioned a lot of sort of much more explicitly horror uh, sci-fi films. So not real science fiction films. <laughs> You're not real science fiction films, yeah. Uh, uh, Extro, uh, Moontrap. Galaxy of Terror, which is raperific, um, Deadly Spawn, and Mutants. Okay, we actually might do a couple of those at some point. Sure. Probably, uh, maybe Galaxy of Terror, just to see how disgusted Daniel uh, gets uh, for for me suggesting him ever watching that film. Yeah, uh, I want. I'll I, you know I'll watch anything. I mean, if I find it you know uh, ideologically horrifying, I will just talk about that. Yeah, but, that's good. You know, that's good. Don't 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 worry about that. You know, I won't uh, shrink away. Um, you can offend my liberal sensibilities, but I'll sit down and I'll watch it like no question. Yeah, I think I think that some of these films will definitely uh, garner some interesting discussions uh, down the road. Um, 
Paul made another slew of comments on that episode. He said, if you're going to pop Terminator in there on your list of films, uh, you should probably add Robocop to the mix as well. Um, sure. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah, the, especially the first one. Yeah. Um, really the first two. Um, two I liked as well. Uh, Frank Miller wrote... wrote uh, that's right. Wrote that's that. right. He even yeah. had a bit part as a drug dealer in that one. Uh. <laughs> I haven't seen either of those in years, but I... I uh, you know, yeah, no, the the first one in particular is a really uh, interesting film. Um, yeah, it's a smart movie. It's like deceptively yeah. smart. Uh, he he mentions Enemy Mind with uh, uh, who's it? Uh, Enemy Mind with uh, Dennis Quaid and Louis Gossett Jr. Is yes, that right? Yes, yes. yes. Yeah. Uh, that's actually yeah, I know that film. I like that film a lot. Yeah, I do too. Uh, one of the ones I used to watch all the time in the '80s, along with like The Last Starfighter and stuff like that. Yeah, we don't put the last Starfighter on that list. But, no, <laughs> uh, you know um, that that is one I grew up with. Um, yeah. There's a great Onion piece where they uh, have uh, they they mention that George W. Bush, uh, you know, uh, got into politics because he was inspired by the last Starfighter. <laughs> uh, I'll try to look that up and send you the link. That's oh, nice. uh, yeah, it's a great piece. <laughs> Shit. Uh, he he mentions that he th- he agrees. He thinks Westworld's a good one. Uh, he he argues that Last Man on Earth would also be uh, fit into the sci-fi category, which uh, yeah, I, I, agree. I, would, I would agree with that. Yep. You know, um, I actually I've read I've read I Am Legend, but I haven't seen any of the adaptations of it. Oh, interesting. Uh, yeah, we might actually have to watch those at some point and compare all three. Um, <laughs> that would be an interesting episode. Actually, there's actually there's like four of them yeah um actually when the will smith vehicle came out uh the onion av club did a uh book versus film column where Mm -hmm. they compared all four of them or however many there were yeah because so uh that's that's actually been done pretty expertly (laughs) (laughs) there's that yeah because there's that uh production company that that independent one the asylum or whatever that makes all Mm -hmm. those shitty uh cash-ins of blockbuster films (laughs) Right. Yeah. Um, he also mentions uh, They Live, uh, which we mentioned. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Basket Case, uh, That w- that's not a sci-fi film, I wouldn't say. Uh, I don't know that one. Uh, that, that's one where this uh, guy, uh, he had a conjoined twin, and the twin is like horribly mutated and deformed. It's basically just this blob with an arm that he keeps in a basket. They were separated at birth, and he wants to basically get reattached to his twin, I guess, and they go around killing all the doctors and stuff that uh, helped separate them. Um, yeah, this doesn't sound like a science fiction film to me. Mm. Uh, also, uh, It's Alive, uh, which was a series of films. Um, you could argue that one is sort of sci-fi because it, it deals with uh, uh, birth defects and, and, and things of that nature, uh, like... Uh, basically genetically modifying children and stuff although it's it, on a, on the surface it's really just a horror movie with mutants going around killing people um same with chud uh can, <laughs> cannibalistic humanoid underground dwellers um he mentions videodrome from david cronenberg that's definitely a good sci-fi film i think existence as long as we're talking cronenberg yeah yeah um he mentions the prophecy from 1979. That's actually one of Stephen King's favorite films. Although he he's uh, he doesn't make any excuses for it being kind of a cheesy monster movie, really. But it is a sort of like an environmentalist uh, 
film. I don't know if I would necessarily call it sci-fi, other than the fact that it has mutant, uh, basically a mutant bear going around killing people. But uh, yeah, um, he mentions. Uh, we briefly mentioned fantasy films. He says he loves all the Tolkien films, uh, even the the cartoons. Uh, the Bakshi, the uh, mm. Bakshi uh, animated. Yeah. Um, let's see, and he did mention some other ones here, we'll go through real quick, uh, some that, uh, Wolf Darkclaw also mentioned, um, Deadly Spawn, uh, Without Warning, I don't recall that one, uh, mentioned the 1981 thing, uh. Yeah, I was just thinking about that one, that one, uh, that's almost a straight remake, uh, or adaptation of Who Goes There, which mm -hmm. is a classic John W. Campbell and which is by definition science fiction, so you know. <laughs> yeah, let's see. I'll just I'll just skip to some of the original ones here on this list because there are some do-overs. Uh, original Planet of the Apes. Um, oh, that one. The the first one is definitely underrated. I think that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No. Good. A uh, good kind of science fiction film, definitely. Yeah. Uh, Predator. Um, Predators. Predator has sci-fi elements. I don't know if I call that one so much sci-fi. I that... think the sequel. Predator 2, which nobody likes, is probably the most science fiction of the Predator franchise. Um, it's probably the least of the Predator franchise. Honestly, I would argue the latest one, Predators or whatever, that Robert uh, Rod Rod Rodriguez uh, did. Um, uh, I haven't seen that one, so... Uh, that, that one, I think, is... I think that one's more explicitly sci-fi because that sort of like turns the tables on it. It like involves capturing people and taking them to another planet and hunting them, right. so... Um, he says Godzilla versus King Ghidorah. Um, yeah, I guess you could say that's a sci-fi film. Uh, Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. <laughs> uh, Night of the Le Night of the uh, Lepus, uh, which is the giant bunny rabbit one with DeForest Kelly in it. I'm there. <laughs> that's that's an interesting one. How about Day of the Triffids? As long as we're talking uh, of, the of the movies, yeah. Killer Clowns from Outer Space. Uh, yeah. it's. A, I, I don't know if I'd call it so much sci-fi. It is in the broad general sense of alien invasion. It's a kind of science fiction comedy horror mashup thing. You know? mm, I love it, though. That's one of my favorite films from the 80s. Uh, and he says Little Shop of Horrors. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, the original or the Rick Moranis musical version? Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping he thinks... Honestly, I like the original... Better than the Rick Moranis one. I mean, I like them both. I'm just curious yeah. which one you think he's he, referring to. I, th I think he's probably thinking of, uh, if I know Paul, I think he, he's probably thinking of the original. He, he, I think he's probably thinking more Roger Corman than he is uh, 80s remake. Um, okay, let's see. Let's try to get any more comments here real quick. Um because then there's one comment that we need to respond to that we'll we'll close out the show on. Um, but uh, on the uh, soundtrack uh, episode, uh, he says Jaws is an epic film, and he said the score made the film. It bombed on the screening and was applauded after the music was added. Um, yeah, and that's sort of like the same with um, Halloween, where when they showed it to uh, people with just sort of like... Uh, uh, stock music put in it or without a soundtrack even i think they didn't think it was scary at all but then when they re-screened it with the uh, soundtrack people were frightened by the film so 
so many films rely on score. I mean, you know, like that's mm-hmm. kind of the last piece. Um, I mentioned uh, Dominic Glenn in that episode because mm-hmm. I just recently I got into uh, uh, hear him talk, uh, and uh, he said, uh, you know, composers in in you know film and TV. He's particularly talking about his career in t- mostly TV, but also films are often kind of handed stuff and said, can you fix this? Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, yeah. it's a very common thing. Yeah, this sucks. Can you make this suck less? Yeah. Um, you know, so anyway. Yeah, and he, says, he, he agrees that uh, Conan uh, soundtrack is amazing. Uh, he said it helped inspire um, Lord Wind, which is one of his favorite atm- atmospheric pagan folk bands. Uh, I'm actually familiar with Lord Wind, and I agree that that is... Uh, you can definitely see the Conan in, in that guy's stuff, um, or that band Lord stuff. Wind. Lord Wind sounds like a, uh, I don't know the band, so my apologies, but mm-hmm. it, it sounds a little bit like a uh, really grandiose euphemism for farting. <laughs> I just had to pass a Lord Wind. Yeah, the Lord of Wind. Uh he said Danny Elfman always uh, really makes up great scores for many genres uh, with film or TV. Um, agreed. Obviously, the Simpsons theme mm-hmm. is kind of the, the thing he will always be known for. But I was thinking of him with uh, the Tim Burton connection. Yeah, yeah. Um, it does feel like he's kind of been writing the same score the same you know over and over again for twenty years. But yeah. um, he's great. He agreed that he liked uh, the uh, tune "Golden Brown" uh, by the Stranglers from the. Uh, uh, soundtrack to uh fuck um the one you recommended guy Ritchie film uh oh uh, snatch snatch yeah snatch there you go um he said he's glad we mentioned halloween and now that i think about it rocky horror picture show and the nightmare before christmas are amazing <laughs> scores uh yeah i agree yep. I, rocky horror picture show that probably would have been on my list had it been like a top 20 um yeah no um this is kind of making me think we should actually do like a top five musicals episode because I think we would have oh. very interesting uh, choices because I don't think either one of us is a huge fan of musicals. No, that would be a hard episode for me to do because I don't honestly I don't even like the Rocky Horror Picture Show itself as a film or whatever. I, I, I do like the score though, but the film itself it's like I could take it or leave it unless right. unless uh, you know. Uh, so is Randon wearing next yeah. to nothing? Yeah, in her in her prime, definitely. But other than that, um, she was in Tammy, which I mentioned earlier, and she's still looking fine. Like, oh yeah, you know, it's a thing. Yeah, way to go. There. And is incredibly talented. I apologize. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, she's incredible. Yeah, no, a hot piece of ass. You know, who cares? You know, um, uh, no, incredibly talented actress, and still looking very good. Yeah, he said the original Nosferatu has beautiful music in it. Uh, I agree. Um, Although he says he also has the uh, version with Typo Negative doing the soundtrack. I think there's actually a couple uh, versions of the original Nosferatu um, that have been released that have different scores and soundtracks to them. So they did uh, the Alamo did Metropolis with a live uh, orchestra. Oh, cool. Um, and I couldn't go because I had to work. It was uh, very sad, but, <laughs> uh, that would be, uh, Metropolis is actually, I think Philip Glass did a score for that. Um, you know, and I think I mentioned Philip Glass being mm-hmm. just like guys I just listen to constantly these days. But. Uh, he briefly mentioned some films off the top of his head. Uh, Ravenous, Jaws, mm-hmm. The Howling, um, 
shit, I'm going to have to listen to the howling now and see what the soundtrack is, because that's not one that ever jumped out at me. Um, he says, The Fearless Vampire Killers, which is um, a Polanski film, uh, which is sort of like a, a sort of a love letter to Hammer Horror Films, uh, has uh, Sharon Tate, um, I, I think I think it was actually like the last film before she was killed by the Manson family. Um, yeah. Yeah, uh, he, he mentions the world's end. Um, yeah, yeah. Pretty much all the uh, all the Cornetto trilogy has a really nice soundtrack. Yeah, that the you know Shaun of the Dead. I mean, I think would not be nearly as good a film without the soundtrack. Yeah, and finally he says uh, the Viking series is, uh, and that's the uh, History Channel series, uh, the Vikings, uh, which is fairly popular series on TV right now. Um, he says has a beautiful. Acoustic folk bands, uh, Wardrunna, uh, does all the score, and uh, I agree. Actually, um, Paul turned turned me on to Wardrunna, which are a very good atmospheric uh, sort of to do some sort of like pagan folk music, uh, mostly all acoustic. Um, very very good music to chill out to. Like I use it as white noise to go to sleep to. Um, a lot of chanting and stuff like that in it as well. Um, and it is very atmospheric. Um, so, yeah. Uh, uh, you mind if I mention a couple of TV shows as long as we're on the TV show topic? Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Um, Breaking Bad had mm-hmm. an amazing, uh, I think they had the same composer for the entire, you know, five years the show was on the air. Um, I forget the guy's name now that I'm sitting here and I refuse to look <laughs> it up because it's one of those things I should have remembered. Um, but. Uh, a really nice score. In fact, there was even a uh, CD release. Like they put on an album of uh, some of the uh, some of his favorite tracks from the TV show. That TV show would not have been the same without uh, his scores. Yeah. Um, also, uh, one, another one of my kind of favorite shows uh, that's kind of out right now uh, in this last season, starting this month, is Justified. Mm-hmm. Um, they have the uh, this uh, theme song by a uh, kind of a, a hip hop. A bluegrass band called oh, yeah. Gangsta Grass, <laughs> and uh, that's actually um, I, I I just kind of open up Spotify and I'll listen to uh, some of their albums, um, which is usually not the kind of music I'm listening to, but um, it, it has a uh, it has its own very unique sound, and I, I actually like it quite a bit. Cool. So uh, that's just a couple of uh, you know, if we're talking TV shows, I can bring up some more stuff. But uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, again, I mentioned earlier, I watch a little bit more TV than movies these days. It's sort of a such such creative stuff going on on TV. Um, yeah. I feel like they kind of suck the air out of the room on some of the the filmmakers almost. It's, oh, it's they a, do, they do. They definitely an interesting do. phenomenon. How how you know? Uh, I don't know if you were a fan of Breaking Bad at all, but can you imagine Breaking Bad the movie? You know, like trying yeah. to trying to do that story in yeah, two it, hours. It wouldn't. Like, it, it would not work. Um, and on the flip side, can you imagine Wolf of Wall Street the TV series? Imagine that uh, on like that HBO. Would, that would be interesting. That would actually be really interesting to see. Um, anyway, not to uh, not to completely derail us in this actual <laughs> podcast, but yeah. I did want to bring the did want to. Those are the two that I kind of thought of immediately. Um, and of course, I listen to a ton of Doctor Who music. So yeah, yeah. no, that's good. Um, uh, so here's one last question. Uh, we're basically going to go out on here. I think um, might get a couple minutes of discussion before we wrap up. Um, Paul asks, uh, please name your favorite dollar store cheap combo uh, 
pack films, uh, basically the public domain films you find on all those like Walmart cheapies that were like 50 films <laughs> for a dollar right. or whatever the fuck. He, he lists his. He, um, he mentions basically the, the one that you find on every one of them, Night of the Living Dead. Um, right. Werewolf uh, versus the Vampire Women, which is a, a Spanish uh, film by uh, Paul Nashi, who did basically made a career of doing werewolf films with a lot of uh, tits and gore in them. Um, he says Dr. Tyre's Torture Dungeon, which I am familiar with, but I can't remember at the moment uh, what it was about, other than it had a torture dungeon in it. Um, he says The Legend of Bigfoot. Oh, shit, yeah, that. That, oh fuck! The Legend of Bigfoot's actually something we might review at some point when we feel like doing really bad movies because that's a that's a bad movie. Um, he says, "Don't look in the basement." Uh, another classic that you find on all these ones: Last Man on Earth, um, Nosferatu, and uh, Hunchback of Notre Dame, which is the original one. That one is public domain. Um, Horror rises from its tomb and Naked Massacre. And I've actually seen, I think I've seen mostly all that on all those on that list, but uh, I'm having trouble recalling some of them. But um, are there any you can think of, public domain films that... uh... I mean, the the big one, obviously, uh, Night of the Living Dead would be kind of the the big one that I would, uh, you know... Yeah. That's the obvious one. Um, I don't really, uh, I haven't actually bought any of those big DVD sets. I've always looked at them and gone, "Ah, I should like buy that and put that on just one day, but... uh, don't uh haven't really uh taken the plunge into that world of uh cheapy cinema yeah um, so unfortunately i can't uh you know i don't have the encyclopedic knowledge of that uh genre that uh, paul does well I'll, I'll say they're uh those sets like you like i've got several of them i got a couple horror ones i've got a couple martial art movie ones and just general like exploitation and stuff like that right um even i even have one that has like a bunch of like obscure uh, late 70s, early 80s, like, uh, titty comedies, basically, you know, like the sort of sub-porkies kind of shit. Nice. Uh, um, I grew up on those movies, so, yeah. you know. Uh, but, um, they're, they're very good for just making you aware of film, like, if you're interested in, like, finding out where certain films came from and learning about film companies and stuff like that. Uh, essentially, some of these are, like, just basically back catalogs of, uh, defunct film companies and stuff like that so they're they're good for that and for the most part yeah a lot of them are just absolute shit quality but you can find some ones that are very well done uh i think there's what's the one company uh mill creek i believe the company's name is they do do some quality ones like they do have their their uh (laughs) share of shitty ones but uh they do seem to make a point of whenever they get a a new print of a film, they'll they'll re-release it in a new pack uh, with a better print or whatever. So they're good that way, and they actually do blue or Blu-rays as well. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, there here's some. I'll just rail off the top of my head. Uh, well, not really. I have it on a list here in front of me, but um, uh, <laughs> you could have lied. I would have believed you. Yeah, um, Carnival of Souls from 1962. Uh, that that's a public domain film. Very very good. Um, well, one of the, uh, one of, actually probably one of the more, uh, influential sort of like, uh, surreal horror films from the 1960s. Uh, very good. Um, Dementia 13, which was Francis Ford Coppola's first film. I've seen that one. Mm. Uh, sort that of, is quite good. Sort of a proto slasher mixed with gothic horror kind of, 
combination. Um, like Paul already mentioned, Last Man on Earth, Night of the Living Dead, original Nosferatu, uh, original Little Shop of Horrors, like we already mentioned, that's public domain. Actually, most of the Corman films are public domain. Um, Reefer Madness from 1936, uh, still entertaining to this day, uh, just about how it got everything about marijuana wrong. <laughs> right, yeah. Definitely, that, that scare tactics were just, uh, yeah, no, that was yeah. great. Um, I'll cite uh, a William Castle film that I really like. I think most of his films are also public domain, but uh, The Tangler with Vincent Price. Uh, most absurd fucking premise for a horror movie ever, but Vincent Price sells it. And, of course, William Castle was renowned for selling his films with gimmicks where he, you know, in this film specifically had like a shock buzzer under right. the seats in the theaters. And, yeah. Um, uh, is uh, Freaks in the Public Domain? Yes, it is, and that was also on my list. Yeah, yeah no, that one's a, obviously a classic, yeah. yeah. Uh, Dracula versus Frankenstein from 1971, which uh, we, we really should just do like a really um, top ten terrible fucking movie episode at some point, because yeah. this is probably one of the worst films ever made, but it's so goddamn bad that it's good. Um and it's it's just the most cheaply made piece of shit thrown together from like two or three different films concoction that I've ever seen. It's so terrible, uh, <laughs> and, and um, it's got a. I think it was the last role for uh, Lon Lon uh, Chainley Jr. Um, where by it was it's kind of sad in that way because you see the point where alcoholism had led his career. Um, but uh, also say uh, Invasion of the B-Girls from 1973. That's uh, a public domain one. Um, kind of a fun um, film about women basically sleeping with men and killing them. Uh, seducing men and killing them. And they're also is, like... Is that what feminists do? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, um, that, was, that was a horrible joke. That was yeah. not mentioned seriously. I think there are, it is it is sort of a feminist movie though I believe uh, and it's definitely not like one that's like uh, critical of it I don't think it is it's 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 a fun little genre turn itself on its head kind of thing um, and the last one I think I'd cite and it's probably my favorite public domain movie outside of Night of the Living Dead um, Horror Express with uh, Peter Cushing Christopher Lee. Uh, Telly Savalas in a in a sort of a walk-in cameo role almost uh, midway through the film. Uh, fucking fantastic little horror film that's sort of derivative of uh, Hammer horror films, but it's actually set on like the Orient Express, and this um, it has a lot of connections to actually uh, who goes there and uh, the thing from another planet because um, it, it it sort of has that uh, body switching alien sort of. Uh, trope going for it where you you don't know who the alien is and uh keeps switching identities and stuff like that and taking people's place it's it's actually a really good film so oh that's awesome yeah. uh going back one film uh just to uh ask you have you ever seen a, the film called teeth i have seen teeth yeah the the the, the, uh, the, vagina... the, the vagina dendata yeah film. <laughs> um i i always uh just just to since uh, you made me think of it i uh, will uh, say it's sort of one of those things where if you look at it one way, it's a horror film, but if you look at it the other way, it's a superhero film. <laughs> it's a superhero origin story, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, 
That's how I choose to look at it anyway. But that's just a uh, personal preference. Um, no, uh, really great list. I would love to uh, watch a lot of bad movies and then just sit and talk about them uh, at some point. You know, uh, yeah. been kind of busy the last uh, couple of years, but yeah. uh, soon I think we'll we'll be able to do some a, a lot more of those kind of things. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, try to we'll 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 have to try to see if we can. Uh some couple months down the road or something, try to arrange to get uh, Paul in on one of these ones. And we can really talk about shitty movies because he's an uh, aficionado. He's even more of an aficionado than I am of really bad horror movies and great horror movies at the same time. So sure. Yeah. Um, so, uh, unless we have any uh, closing comments there, Dan, we can just go right to plug in your stuff. Sure. Um, you can find me if you want to listen to me talk um, incoherently about, lots of different things, but mostly about Doctor Who. You can check out my uh, Doctor Who podcast that I do with my wife. Uh, you can find that at Oi Spaceman. That's oispaceman.libsyn.com, L-I-B-S-Y-N.com. Um, and you can find me on Twitter at Daniel Lee Harper. All right, cool. Uh, and if you're watching this on YouTube, um, you'll you'll see the link right to our Podbean site right there. Go there. If you're on Podbean, you'll see all of our other links right in the sidebar. Uh, you can leave comments and questions either under the youtube video uh under the episode um as you see it on the podbean site or you can email at me at uh, hoagly reviews h-o-u-g-l-y reviews at gmail.com and uh as you can tell we uh, enjoy getting comments and questions because it sort of opens up discussion and stuff on the on the on the podcast and uh we always welcome that sort of thing and uh just want to say thank you to everyone who actually did comment or, or ask a question in the last couple of weeks. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's always uh you know sorry I didn't have much to say just because you and Paul clearly have a more of a uh, simpatico relationship on some of these uh, film conversations. You know, with mm -hmm. the uh, uh, but uh, always nice to get to uh, hear that kind of conversation. Uh, I would love to uh, be the fly on the wall while you guys uh, talk shitty film for a while. You know. Uh, you should have seen it when we were at uh, the Albino Rhinos uh, Beer Fest. Um, we started, he, he immediately came up to me, because the Albino Rhino is also a big film collector too. He's got like, he's got even more movies than I do. And he, he just basically started railing off all the films that the Albino Rhino did not have. Uh, and he, <laughs> and we were just sort of shocked. Um, it's like, you call yourself a film collector, sir. You don't have this obscure fucking horror movie from 1963 that was never released on DVD. What the fuck is wrong with you? Uh, That's awesome. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so um, you, I believe you have something in mind for to go out on musically sir yeah I, i'm sorry to kind of throw this in now that we're uh you know we've been talking about uh shitty horror movies for a while but uh okay. i actually wanted to uh, end on the uh, theme song to the wind rises uh, okay. which uh you know there's a japanese version and an english translation um your choice on that the okay. uh english translation is the wind rises i believe and uh, i'll just send you a link to that because i'm not even going to try to pronounce it in japanese okay cool um but uh yeah no definitely uh uh, it's a great little song, and I guess you're going to hear it shortly. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, <laughs> they uh, were uh, running this as part of the trailer, and if you saw movies of the Alamo at that time, you kind of saw that trailer a bunch of times. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of had it in my head for about three months. So uh, now you will too. Great. Okay. Uh, thank you, Daniel, and thank you, everybody, for listening, and we'll catch you again down the road, I guess. See you later. Thanks a lot. Okay. Always.